Welcome to Cross Politic, our last Sunday special before that. we go nightly at 6 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. So sad. We're going to be your commentary, your nightly news and commentary. Yep. Every Monday day. through Friday, every day. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox, I'm the water boy. Very excited about it. Uh, the water break will be pre- replacing our Sunday special, so don't worry. We aren't going to leave you a day without content. But you just get more of <laughs> us. Yeah, That's a lot of cross politics. Two days in a row, three days, a five days. So, of days? course, join the club. Join our army of supporters to help us get through these weeks. Get $100 <laughs> off your registration. At our Fight Life Feast conference in, in Knoxville. October coming. 6th through the coming. 8th. Are you tired of buying sugary drinks and coffee from large woke corporations that hate you? Mm-hmm. The woke part, yes. It doesn't actually say that, but I just... <laughs> 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 it it, it should have been there. Throw a tea party. Oh, I get what they're doing. Yeah. Gold River mm-hmm. Trading company is an American company that offers premium alternatives for Americans who enjoy a delicious cup of tea and love their country. Mm-hmm. Start your day with Gold River's invigorating, well, that's a great word, mm-hmm. American breakfast blend. Cool down with a pitcher of crisp and refreshing iced tea. Oh, I'm thirsty now. Mm-hmm. Or unwind with chamomile, herbal tea. Explore a variety of high-quality blends and enjoy a healthy, flavorful alternative from an American company that shares your values. Go to Gold River co.com and save 10% off all orders using discount code crosspolitik at checkout goldriverco.com and I, I, I got to have their pumpkin spice tea i like what? i like orange really? tea for some and reason yet we have weird? no yeah. tea made here weird. for us to and, sample right and now and it's actually pretty legit and then i had uh, just and, like uh, the color on, orange on the water break this last week i actually had uh, oh. The some. American yeah. breakfast black tea, both, both really? very good. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah those, so. they, next time make, I like my tea. Make what? us some tea. Maybe we should nice. have a cup of tea when we're reading this mm-hmm. ad. I mean, I don't know. That'd be nice. There is some troubling news that is starting to emerge from the Alveda Uvalde U- Uvalde that to Uvalde school shooting in Texas that took the life of more than 21 people, or actually 21 people to be exact. Yeah. Some of the original information that has turned out not to be true, like there were no school police officers that were confronting the gunman before he went inside the school. He walked in unobstructed initially, mm. Victor Escalon said. A regional director for the state's Department of Public Safety said that he was not confronted by anybody. Wait, so originally they didn't report that? Originally, or? the original story was that he was being chased by the police, and then there were stories that there was a police or uh, a school police officer yep. that school was there. School resource officer. Okay. And that he engaged with the school police officer. But not really. And it, they, ha- they shot at each other. Yeah. And that so was the original report. The lieutenant came out and said, actually, he crashed his vehicle. He shot his grandmother, crashed his vehicle, and went into the school without anybody, huh. uh, without any police officers hand- having any sort of engagement with him. Man. Also, parents have been held and detained and some arrested outside of the school on Tuesday as gunfire erupted inside, urging the police who were holding them at bay to actually go inside and stop the carnage. Holding the parents. That's right. Stopping the parents. Wow. Oh my goodness, somewhere on the ground. Wow. He's got a taser.
you hear him yell? He, they're shooting in there. Yeah. Wow. There are more officers outside than inside. What? What? <laughs> they're standing out there. Yeah. Keeping the parents from going in to get their kids. And the only reason the parents <laughs> are probably trying to go in is because they aren't in themselves. Yeah. The police officers aren't right. in. Right. The state police official who was requested anonymity, which I don't know if he should have any, uh, to describe the evolving timeline of events, said that two, I always mess up the name. Uvalde. Thank you. Uvalde officers were shot as they initially tried to enter the classroom about 11.45 a.m. They weren't killed. They, they were they, shot. They, they were just They were just they, shot. Shot at. Maybe wounded. They were able to make calls for more backup, too. At that point, the officers fell back and began calling for help and for additional resources as uh, special equipment that they wanted. They also needed body armor, they said. We needed precision rifles and negotiators. Mm. As the officers fell, the gunmen continued shooting and said that the state police officials, uh, as they were asking for this information, they were getting shot at, mm -hmm. and the state police officials reporting this. It was during the early minutes that police officials said that most of the victims inside the rooms were actually shot at and the firing was going on. And a pair of the officials said that we were connected, that the pair of officials said that there was a connection to the classroom that the shooter was in. So the doors locked. So the door was, yeah. But he could go between a couple of classrooms. But he could go classrooms. between a couple classrooms, yeah. exactly. Investigators are still trying to piece together the gunman's movements during the time he was outside. That would have been a good time to actually stop him, especially since he was shooting at the school. Before he entered the building, he went through an unlocked door at 11.40 a.m. and began shooting inside. By the time officers reported that the gun that the gunman had been killed around 1 p.m. He had shot 19 students and two teachers, all of them apparently locked with the gunman in the connected classroom. All the details, they're still coming out, so I'm a little bit hesitant to latch on to anything right now, but I, I do think that there is a little bit disturbing things that we can latch on to. Like this comment from the from the Department of Safety's lieutenant who held a, an interview with Wolf Blitzer. By the way, I got to give Wolf Blitzer some credit here. He asked some good questions. You'll see in just a second. In Wolf Blitzer's situation room, the officer uh, said that they were hesitant to enter Rob Elementary School on Tuesday because they could have been shot at. They were able to shoot and kill the suspect and pre preserve any other life. We know that there was other injured children inside that classroom that they were able to save as well and get them to and get them to cover. And at that point, it became a recovery process, a rescue operation, trying to rescue the injured and also any other potential children or teachers that were inside those classrooms. But don't current the best practices, Lieutenant, call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. Which which one is it? Wait. Did they know where he was at, or did they not know where he well, was? Well, I at? don't think that's even the that's not the most important thing. What is it? The, well, he's, he says that the, the, the kids might got shot. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, if, and he says, but if, if, but if you don't engage the shooter, the kids are getting shot. Yeah. yeah. And he says, but if you engage the shooter, the police officers might have gotten shot, and then more <laughs> kids might have gotten shot. Yeah. 
but see, but that's your job, yeah. and that's that's why it's not <laughs> what we don't know that bothers me. Yeah, but it's actually what we do know that bothers me. So now we know that parents were getting arrested because they didn't feel the police were engaging the shooter with the proper force. The DPS Lieutenant Chris Olivares said the officers arrived at the school quickly, but waited for reinforcements after they began getting fired upon. Yeah, Tucker. Last night, or actually was it Thursday night, reported that a mother was arrested. She was then let go and broke through the barricade and went and got her two kids out of the school while the oh. shooting was going on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So when they released her, she walked away, yep. hopped a fence, and jumped over and went and got her kids <laughs> while the shooter was still in there. Man. At the moment, it's still unclear how many of the children and the teachers who died who could have been saved if the government had actually been killed sooner? Did they all get shot like right away? Right, or was we, it going we, over exactly? Because how long is it? But he, they did say the it lieutenant was over did say, an hour. Oh. So he entered the building about eleven thirty two a.m. and then he was killed about twelve fifty twelve fifty five. So, so yeah. you know, th there is a gap there. Like you know, yeah. But this one that mother, an she hour drove, long gap. That mother heard about what was right. going on. She drove forty miles. To go get her kids. Yeah. Okay. You said there was another dad at a barbershop. Yeah. That was an off-duty police officer at a barbershop that heard what was going on and got up and his barber got up with him and the barber <laughs> grabbed his shotgun. And then the father got there, used the barber shotgun and decided to that, breach the building. That's my barber. What is clear, <laughs> I know that's right, what is clear is that we have different kind of men than the ones who climbed the Twin Towers. Oh, man. I'm sure that most of those men from time to time actually wouldn't, wouldn't survive the social justice woke onslaught of the current day. Right now, I'm sure that those men probably had some prejudice in their heart, probably had said some maybe, racial maybe. slurs. Maybe. I'm, just, some, some, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give it all to those okay. men. Okay. They wouldn't have been allowed to live in the current culture that we live in right You're now. You're talking about New York firefighters and police officers those and people, first responders. Those first responders. Yeah. You, you're in New York, you yeah. know? But I was watching I was watching the documentary um, on uh, the Twin Towers. In the Twin Towers yeah, on Hulu. Yeah. And one of the things that was amazing to me was that these men looked at each other knowing that this was their last day of work. Yeah. And it didn't matter who was on the top floor. They were going up there. We're gonna yeah. get them. And they were going to get them and they were going to save and them. And they were going to die yeah, doing that. Yeah. These are the kind of men that we would have canceled because they wouldn't have taken the vaccine. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Those That's are right. those kind of men. That's right. Man. And yet come hell or high water, they are the type of men that would climb 70 flights of stairs to save you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know somebody else who would have done it? Kyle Rittenhouse. That's oh. that's real, man. Oh, Kyle Rittenhouse man. Oh, man. would have ran in there. Right. And, yeah. and and the my biggest problem is that postmodernism, this kind of culture that we have now, doesn't know what masculinity looks like. Oh, it, it does. Hates it. It does. No, no, that's true. And it it hates knows. It. it hates it. That's yeah. the very good point. It's, it's and when we see it. it, we punish it. That's right. So then it makes when you when when you do this, you create a different kind of man. Well, ultimately it creates a shooter like this. Mm. That's right. That's what we did. That's right. We, we we created a shooter. The guy has no dad. Right. I saw pictures of him cross-dressing. Is he yeah. kind of cross-dressing? No, that that yeah. image is supposedly fake. Oh, it is? It? Yeah, okay, somebody's right. making it. Well, so it's hard to know. Okay, well, whatever. But he's a troubled youth. He yeah. is. I mean, Absolutely. You know, he doesn't have his, a dad. His mom was on drugs. Yeah, he doesn't have know. a dad. He doesn't have an intact family. But think about this for a second, too. So you've got Kyle Rittenhouse, who is yeah. hearing that they're going to burn down his city. Yeah, Kenosha. He, Kenosha. His he, friend's he, shop and he, all that. Right, yeah. so he grabs his gun and a, a first aid kit, runs to defend a place where the police are letting burn 
once again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then he defends that spot, and then we punish him for doing so. Right. <laughs> it's like well, too much masculinity. Right. You know, it's too. And, and it, but that kind of mentality is happening constantly. Right. Where he, he is sitting here wanting to go and save his area, his people. Yeah. And the police are... And and on the ground in Uvalde, you had mothers asking, saying, I will take your body armor and go in there. Oh, my God. Asking the cops That's on video. Yeah, that's on video. Give me your body armor and I'll go in there. And the lieutenant that we're listening to says, uh, well, they they couldn't go in because they might have gotten shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This this is a different world. It's a a different... I don't... I would rather take those men... With all their faults and flaws. The racist. I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe they're they're a little racist. Maybe they're a little sexist. Maybe a little prejudiced. You know, whatever. You know, they yeah, I'll, I'd rather take them <laughs> and all their faults right. that who those men who will go up to the, the top of the tower and save my kids and my family right. and my life. Yeah. Yeah. What what kind of America do you right. want? Well, you want you want the America that's so concerned about being politically correct. That's right. right. You, you know, you know, not a you know, you're not a racist bone in your body. Now, racism is sin. Yeah. It it's is a sin. And, absolutely. It needs to be but, eradicated. But there's 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 a um, this is a Phariseeism thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pharisees strain out gnats. Yep. And swallow camels. That's right. And that's that's what's going on here. Well, Which, and here's what's crazy is you have the situation where. It, uh, based on the information we know, based on some of the things that have been said, it looks like that the uh, cops were um, abdic- abdicating their authority, abdicating their responsibility. Excuse yeah. me, they were not going in. Right. They were staying outside for an hour. If only they abdicated their authority. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Gave, it, gave, <laughs> their, case, gave their guns over to right, the civilians. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they abdicated their responsibility, and they were, and then that created a downstream situation where parents were like, right. hey, if you aren't going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. And now the cops are in this odd predicament where they're arresting a mom who wants to go in right. and save her kids and, and because they wouldn't go in there. Hey, yeah. Carter, go to the last one where the, with, the, with the family. I wanted to show where the family is. Go to there real quick. I'm sorry, Pastor. No, I, I was just going to say. And you, just hit pause. You, well, you're going you, yeah, I'm I'm to. Yeah, yeah. I was going to set it up for you. I was, I was just thinking, well, you told me it reminded you of this morning yeah. when you looked at this. Go, go, just move to the middle of the clip because Sharon said, any open air, my wife, we were watching this together. Yeah. I prepped with her and she's always a blessing to me. But she said, you know, any open air preacher, anybody who spent time in front of an abortion clinic knows what this looks like. Oh, man. Right? They know yeah. this scene already where yeah. you have yeah. people on the outside. No, you were right there. Yeah, that, just yeah. hit play. Uh, you have people on the outside who are screaming that they're killing people on the inside, and the police are the ones standing Stopping between them, them saving lives. And the lives. kids. And the yeah. kids. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give. Now, that said, can I bat just two seconds for the police officers? Sure. But I'm, I'm not very happy with them at this point. Right. We can't continue to punish police officers and people who are doing good and expect them to defend us right. either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. You can't punish masculinity right punish bravery and courage i think you're going to get more of and it. backbone and then and then be surprised right. when they say well you know regulations we might get sued or lebron james tweets you out when he shouldn't have right yeah right oh yeah. My What's is- we need to pray to god to give us reformation we yep. need to get we need we need men with backbones again men with chests yeah like c.s lewis said but you only get that when you have men who return to christ and know their sins are forgiven yeah. And then, and then they don't care. That's They're right. Free. They don't yeah. care. They're free. free. Yeah. yeah, and they can li- they can give their lives gladly. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So much down. Go so to heaven. Much. So and much. these two interviews are very important. Coming yeah, out. yeah. More two, two interviews yeah. coming right. up. You don't want to miss Dr. Vaughn and Matt Lomire. Lomire. Yeah. Got it. Marxism inside the military. More cross politic coming up next. A republic is about the rule of law, not men. Armored Republic is devoted to seeing the God-given rights of free men preserved against mob chaos, criminal evil, and the jackboot of tyranny. 
Every purchase of body armor is another free man equipped to resist tyranny, another brother in arms, another hardened household ready to face down the wolves. Body armor is a tool of liberty, and every tool is for the purpose of working or keeping, creating or guarding, building or fighting. Join the Armored Republic. Build. Fight. Home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. One of the last Sunday interviews. This is true. Here we go to weekly. Here we go. Hey, welcome back to Cross Politic on the one and only Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Boniface Woodworking exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity, who want to buy handmade wooden furniture, gifts, and heirloom items that will last for generations, from mm. dining tables and church pulpits to cigar humidors, even chessboards. And we, we, yeah, we, we they sent them. us one. And those yeah. things are hefty. And everything in between, quality pieces that you can give your children's children. Tie them to their roots Uh-oh. and transcend the basic function of whatever they are becoming gifts. So start voting with your dollars and stop buying cheap crap from people who hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I still laugh every time yeah, you read that. Yeah. Visit BonifaceWoodworking.com, BonifaceWoodworking.com to see our gallery, learn the story, and submit your order for heirloom quality wood items Today and Father's Day is coming up. I'm just saying. Oh, it's cigar real. humidor. You know, our, our producer Neil earlier. I thought I asked a really good question. Do they make axes? Because I mean, for real, you know, Saint Boniface. He was the one who chopped that's, down the, that's good. the that's sacred good tree yep. of Thor, and you know, you got to make an axe. We guys. need some of that. Hey, with us right now on the line, we're thankful to have Matt Lohmeyer. He's a former active duty military pilot, commander of a space-based, oh, I didn't even know we had those things, space-based missile warning squadron for the U.S. Space Force. He's like totally- Space Force. Like he's like Star Trek, guys. He has a master's in military operational art and science and a master's of philosophy and military strategy. He's also a public speaker, author of the best-selling book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. He's also the founder of Save America's Military Pack. He's also host of The Matt Lohmeyer Show and lives with his wife and children in the great state of Idaho. Okay. Matt, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. Hey, happy to be here. I've never felt so welcome to be in Idaho. <laughs> well, we're, we're good at that. Yeah. yeah. So, Matt, I th- we want to talk to you about your book and about what's going on in the military. And I think we, we thought it would be helpful for you to start by just, we all think we know what Marxism is, but if we're going to talk about Marxism, we should define what we're talking about. So could you like give us a working definition, one that you're working with, and then go just take us right into the military? Where are you seeing it there? Well, I'm glad you started the conversation by asking that question because I can't tell you the number of um, hour-long interviews, for example, I've done where we're um, yeah. beating beating around the bush, so to speak, um, but we haven't actually defined terms. Right, and yeah. 
Uh, one of the difficulties of soundbite media is that you never get the chance to do that. And this is the perfect forum to do that. So um, what I mean by Marxist rooted, for example, critical race theory or how critical race theory has uh, infiltrated or is is the underlying premise of the diversity and inclusion industry writ large, for example, is that there's it goes by many different names, uh, wears different masks, but there's this um, pervasive narrative of oppressor versus oppressed mm. classes or groups of people. And that's now Marxism is much more complex than that. And yeah. I understand having read uh, Marx and Engels um, communist manifesto. And I try and tease through the four sections of that in the book that you mentioned, but, but there is an overarching narrative that's that, that there's an attempt to convey when whether wittingly or not people employ the Marxist narrative. And it's that there is some segment or group of people that is oppressed by another and that oppressed group of people. And in this case, unfortunately, it's it's typically race based in the current political environment uh, and not necessarily stratified by economic classes, for example, like it was in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. The idea is that because you are oppressed. You are justified and righteous, maybe perhaps, in using violent means to accomplish the just aim of overthrowing an oppressor class. Mm. And the aim is a violent revolution to install a different uh, government. And so the military in this case is oppressed? Now, this is, no, this is the, uh, so this is where it translates into military life because, of course, in our military, we're not talking about overthrowing the government or anything like that. And frankly, most people who become victim of that narrative don't even necessarily know it. That's why it's called subversive. It's subversive in a way because mm. people don't recognize when they become a victim to the narrative or the ideology. I've seen that, yeah. The, the, the problem is that in the military, um, you see back in 2011 during the Obama-Biden administration, there was an effort un, unknown to the you know 99% of our service members to redefine uh, terms like equality and justice. Now equity was added to our mm-hmm. DOD regulations mm-hmm. and our Air Force instructions. In the case of the Air Force, which is the service I, I was in, uh, there's a, there is a scrubbing of all of the regulations in order to redefine terms and then to start mm-hmm. to implement what we call diversity and inclusion trainings to train our service members. Uh, how they should essentially view the world. And it was highly politicized. And in fact, it was left-wing politics. Mm. But that didn't roll out for many years. And so what happens, there's mm. these, um, as you're well aware, there are these, at times, crises or catapult events that will, you know, one thing leads to the next and they're seized upon. We're, we're seeing that right now, in fact, with some of what's going on both in the world and here in our own country. Uh, but people for political purposes like to seize these opportunities. George Floyd's death, uh, has, was an opportunity for left-wing activism to become extremely prolific in the armed forces, unfortunately. And so what had been in the works for a number of years, and we saw this throughout the country as well with, you know, Black Lives Matter becomes extremely well-funded and take to the streets and start to um, force a particular narrative of American history upon people. And if you don't accept it, of course, you're proving to us and all of society, you're part of that oppressor class problem but here, here's the point and I'll, I'll try and be brief so after George Floyd's death we started to formalize very frequent trainings in our military where we would take a knee from our actual operational training mission to discuss how it is if at all possible to overcome 
in the services, the white supremacy problem that we were having in the services. And they started to do surveys to talk about, to try and tease out just how bad of a white supremacy problem we have, how it is that we can help our black service members feel like they're not the oppressed class because they are, and we need to get away from that in uniform. And everyone in uniform is kind of thinking, you kidding me? Like black, white, Democrat, Republican, all of us thought we've never had this problem in the military. Mm. We don't have an oppressor versus an oppressed class in the military. And if they're a white supremacist, well, they know very well if there are any, and I don't know any, by the way, and mm. most service members probably don't. But if there are, it's like they know very well they're going to keep those views to themselves and those biases, and they're certainly not going to manifest those behaviors or biases in a kind of uh, material way in the workplace. Otherwise, they'd find themselves outside of uniform very quickly, right? <laughs> Curb <And> so, <laughs> Well, so the, the bottom line is that was really un an uncomfortable imposition upon the the organization of our armed forces. President Trump tried to get rid of it with an executive order in September of 2020. He said, no more Marxist-rooted critical race theory vocabulary will be used in any of our trainings, like implicit and unconscious biases, um, systemic, uh, well, systemic racism, uh, the idea that white supremacists were, were filling our federal agencies and our, our military services, because we started to hear that literally at my base, it was a weekly occurrence. We had a town hall every week, People were asked to watch certain videos or documentaries or read certain books talking about how racist our founding was. And I'll tell you, you give it a couple of months where your service members who thought they signed up to do one thing, but are now constantly subjected to another, yeah. which is extremely political. Yeah. People start to become disincentivized from service. Yeah. They, they become, they're like, Hey, I'm a Democrat. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think I was signing up for this. I don't want to hear it. Hey, I'm a Republican. I didn't sign up for this. And yeah. we've never had these political debates or, or racial identity political issues in uniform. And now it's being injected from top down into our services. So that's, that's what I mean by that's a yeah. long answer to the question. No, it's great. What Matt. is meant by the, the Marxist narrative? Well, it's the oppressor versus oppressed narrative that we're, they're really grabbing a hold of recently. You know, it's funny because <laughs> The fact that it's hitting the military is very odd to me. I use the military when I talk to people all the time about racial issues being like mm. blown out because whenever bullets start to fly, you might be in boot camp. You might have a dude that grew up in one place and you grew up another and you guys can have your little bickering back and forth. <laughs> but when you get in that foxhole right. together and those bullets start flying, that is your brother closer than blood. And I've seen that. And I've seen those That's relationships right. materialize. And all of a sudden racial stuff, when they come back, they're family. <laughs> like it's, it's all gone away and that stuff is gone. And it's interesting that this comes now where it seemed like the military had figured this thing out a long time ago. Well, they have. Yeah. And now it's coming back and manifested itself. Is this going to affect the way now? Are we reinserting race back into the military and going to have a problem with how our military performs in the future because we're putting Marxism in? Well, it's a great question. Here's, yeah, I think I, I won't quote it exactly, but Thomas Sowell, who over the past five years, I've, I've just come to respect a great deal. Hmm. He said, you know, racism, of course, still exists but it's on life support and it's kept alive by politicians and race hustlers in this country yeah. mm -hmm. you know the human human nature has essentially always been the same and so you're going to have people with hatred and biases and sure. etc but when you come into the military organization and they give everyone the same ugly haircut and put you all in the mm. same uniform there, there's a message that they're clearly sending and every service member 
99% of them get it. And it's that doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter your race, your economic upbringing. Doesn't matter if you had a, a two parent home or a single parent mama or daddy, you come into the uniform, you serve your country. You have a mission to perform and it's national defense of our country. You mm-hmm. prepare to, to fight and win wars period. That's your job in uniform. And so it made for, uh, so to answer your question, how does that impact our lethality or our readiness as, as a military? On the one hand, it disrupts morale. Mm. It causes, uh, and morale is a, is a tremendously important aspect to the warfighting force. Uh, I'll tell you what our, our service members who we deployed to East Europe uh, in, in the uh, startup of the Ukraine-Russia conflict, uh, in anticipation of that conflict spilling out over into bordering countries, the last thing from their minds was, Gee, I wish I had another diversity and inclusion training before I came over here to East Europe to deploy. Facts, Matt, facts. It's like, oh, I wish my white service member compadre here would have got one more training session because I don't like the way he looks at me. That's not on their mind. Yeah, It's just not. But those ideas are planted in our service members' minds constantly by those with a political agenda. And so it was for that reason that finally, after using my chain of command, writing a formal written complaint to the Space Force, which I talk about, to the Space Force Inspector General's office, which I talk about in my in the first episode of my show, I wasn't gaining any traction. My complaint was dismissed, even though senior leaders agreed with my assessment of the problem it was causing. So I wrote a book. I thought the American people need to hear about this, and so do the congressmen that we elect to sit <laughs> in office. And boy, did they hear about it. They really did. And I got to sit down with some of them, and they were all trying to hold some of our senior military appointees and leaders accountable for this activism. And there's only this a kind of activism only exists in like a very small minority of any population, regardless of their politics. Right. But boy, it can truly reshape a culture very quickly. So if, Matt, if people don't stand up and push back did and you, then here's one other thing, yeah. race, race-based quotas uh, do not belong period in the military. The military exists to be lethal. Okay. And I'll be very, I don't need to be careful how I say it, but I'll be very specific in what I mean by that. The demographic, racially speaking, of our armed forces is roughly speaking a mirror image of the American people. The political demographic of our armed forces is roughly speaking a mirror image of the American people. People in the military promote based on the merit, period. Mm. And if you start to say, well, we don't have enough women in the command. Over the last 25 years, we've not had enough women or black women. Right. Yeah. The next one has to be this race, this gender. Uh, we don't want them to be too conservative because that's dangerous. So they need to. We need. To, we need to know a little bit about that too. Oh, so they do discriminate. Be, oh well, yeah. There is a, gr- a growing discrimination, but it's not the kind of wise yeah. discrimination that needs to be applied in a merit-based system like our right. armed forces. Now, if the university or any other setting wants to do away with a merit-based system, that's all good. And you can establish quotas and that's up to any organization, but that can exist in a military organization if lethality is your objective. And uh, so you lose it pretty quickly. Um, Matt, how does this kind of Marxism apply to the current force vaccination policies in the military? I'm, I'm reticent to make a direct tie, but don't get me wrong. um, Everything I see taking place in this country in the government and out, I tie into communism and Marxism just because I've studied it so much. And we all tend to do that and see the world through a lens that we've spent a lot of time studying. So, mm-hmm. uh, when you're imposing, uh, man, mandatory or compulsory medical 
uh, vaccination. Uh, and I know some of your listeners might even be offended. I use the word, um, the jab, right. <laughs> you, you've already crossed the line that, that starts to impose, um, federal government into people's individual lives and in the way of their liberties that shouldn't exist in the first place. I mean, you, you have an ultimate sovereign right over your own flesh, mm-hmm. your own beliefs, what you choose to do with your day-to-day walk. And there have been literally thousands and thousands of our service members of all branches of the military. Uh, I'm guessing both political parties, although I don't know that they, they're largely Christian who have said, I, 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 want to abstain from this. There's just not enough. I don't have a good vibe when I'm hearing all the controversy swirling in the news. So I don't want to take the risk of, of injecting something into me that might be worse for me than just getting the sickness for a week or two and then having the natural immunity. Right. So that they're all being purged right now. Right. When that kind of thing happens, when a large Christian group of people who tend to be conservative, probably, say, I'd like to retain autonomy over my flesh. And oh, by the way, the survival rate is 99.9% for our age demographic. And we're a relatively healthy group of people. And the government steps in and says, no, sorry, you're going to comply or we will force you out. Whether or not there's a direct link to Marxist influence or, um, or intent, I should say, in any actor in that scenario, I say that our, our culture has so spiritually, emotionally, psychologically been transformed in the past few decades because of Marxist influence that we're losing our way. And we've got, and we've got this vacuum in which a totalitarian spirit yeah, that's right. can, can creep right in and do this yeah. kind of thing. And so it's all related, yeah. but it's a star Wars, star Trek, good versus evil, the force. <laughs> See, I mean, this is what we're, this, this is, is star what we're Trek. Everything always goes back to star Trek. Yeah, good, Matt, good well, especially evil. space force. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah well, but right? my, so one of the things I was talking about with the guys before we got you on was, okay, didn't we just have the cold war? Like we fought commies, for decades. Yeah. I mean, when I, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I grew up in the 80s. All the movies in the 80s were about the bad commies. The yep. Soviets, right. the Chinese. Rocky. I mean, they're all, you got to fight the, and so yeah. we fight, you know, and I remember Reagan, I remember the wall coming down and, you know, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, but wait, we're right back here. I mean, I, how does, how does that, how does that happen? I thought we, I thought we won. It happens gradually and then quickly. <laughs> that's true that's Isn't right. that true yeah so right pretty much you're absolutely right and here's what most americans don't appreciate or remember or they've never learned it when we think of the cold war and cold war history that begins right in the aftermath of world war ii you tend to think korean war you picture a certain time frame you think vietnam war the next decade you think a certain time frame and that's kind of America's involvement until the um, the end of the Cold War. But what people don't appreciate is that all throughout the globe, throughout that second half of the mm. 20th century, there were Marxist, violent Marxist revolutions afoot in South America, in Southeast Asia, in European countries, in Eastern European countries, and the communist bloc. I mean, that Soviet good. Communist Union was established in 1917 when the Bolsheviks, for the first time in history, successfully establish a communist state. There's a Chinese communist revolution that gets underway with Mao Zedong in the 1920s and it doesn't succeed. It, it even persists through world war II, and it doesn't succeed until 1949. 
And after you've got a communist Russia, picture of Mongolia kind of sitting there in the middle, and a communist China, mm-hmm. tremendous landmass from 1949 onward, it's right on the heels of that successful communist revolution that there's then a Korean War, and there's then a Vietnam War. They're, they're butting up right against the large communist mass. And mm. there's this effort to expand communism throughout the globe. It's what leads to communism in Cuba. And then, oh, by the way, there's a Cuban missile crisis where the Soviets are putting missiles, nuclear-tipped medium-range ballistic missiles in Cuba right off our shores. It's all tied to a, a capitalist Western society versus an Eastern, so to speak, communist society. And, and they have utterly incompatible and different world aims and agenda and spirituality and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And good Christian people, by the way, get caught up in these revolutions in every country in the planet. They try and flee in some cases, but oftentimes they get stuck there and they live through these. And here's, what's fascinating about it. There's a, there's a Greek author who wrote a book called the logic of violence and civil war. And I don't recommend it because it's a brutally boring read, (laughs) but, uh, and, and the guy's name is, um, something, something Greek. (laughs) Greek. He said he interviews all of these survivors from civil wars. That's what they turned out to be. They were civil wars in the in the wake of a Marxist revolution. And they said, we knew things were getting bad in our country and people were starting to hate one another. People were polarizing, but we didn't realize it was getting that bad. And the next morning we woke Uh up and war was, you know, our our country was engulfed in a civil conflict. Pitter patter. Boy, it is. And it just, and they say, they use words like whirlwind. It took us by like a whirlwind or it took us completely by surprise and everyone madness engulfed everyone. And you can't think that because God set up the United States and we've had a successful run and it's been the most successful experiment in human governance in human history. You can't think that just because of all of those things, somehow humans are also different here than everywhere else That's in the right. world That's and right. not susceptible to the same impulses. Hey, it reminds me of uh, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies. I know, I was thinking he, the same. He did all those thing. interviews <clears throat> in, uh, in Eastern yeah. Europe and, and watching that, yeah. that pitter-patter Yeah, that's happening. right. com. that's the personal website, Sam Pack is the Save America's Military website, sampack.org. Okay, I want to leave with this. And not, this is going to be a challenge for you because you like to talk. You must you got some <laughs> preachers somewhere in you. Um, in 90 seconds, how do we fix our military? I'm going to take the first five seconds to start my timer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got it going. Okay. The f- it's hard to answer important questions in 90 seconds. I know. But I'll do my best. We need senior military leaders and the lower rank military members to take a stand for the the fundamental principles of this country and and be willing to speak openly their love of this great country america and be willing regardless of their politics regardless of their religion to say i love this country i think it is fundamentally a good country as far as human governance goes and i don't appreciate in the workplace uh the in this case, it's a left-wing politicization, but any politicization, we have an operational mission to accomplish. And if you want to inject race identity politics or any other type of politics into the workplace, it's not welcome here. And then start to hold others accountable who become activists and want to politicize the military work environment. That's one thing. And I've got 30 seconds left. The other, the other thing is our, our elected officials in Washington, DC are, are the people that are in a prime position 
to hold our senior military appointees and leaders accountable for their own political activism. And we've seen some come out of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs in the past year. We've seen some come out of our, the, the various enlisted and officer leaders of every branch of the military advocating that they read Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Oh, yeah. That was on the sailors' reading list, for example. They've taken it off. But my time is up. We need them to hold our senior military leaders accountable and to keep at it until they depoliticize our armed forces. So basically, anybody with an office, be faithful to that office in which you took your oath in America. Yeah. See, see, I can do it in like That's 15 right. seconds. You, know, I, you, know, you don't need it. This is not space war <laughs> science. You're right. <laughs> hey, Matt, appreciate you. Again, yeah. mattlomeyer.com is the personal website. Sampack.org, Save America's Military. Pack. Yeah. yeah, so, hey, thank you so much for joining us, brother. Thanks, guys. Keep it up, man. Jordan Vaughn talking about the coronavirus and monkeypox. Monkeypox? You won't believe. Uh-oh. Don't miss this next segment. Wow. It's going to be the last okay. one for a Sunday show, a Sunday special. And then we go daily. And then we go daily. More cross politic coming up next. This is where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. All of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations. Our most precious commodity is time. No one has ever lied on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time making money. They all wish they had spent more time creating a legacy. Our modern education system steals that legacy, steals that time from our children. That's why I'm passionate about homeschooling. That's why at Classical Conversations, we want to give you more time to create that legacy, follow your passions, and glorify God. Visit classicalconversations.com for more information. How do you drive Roll Tide fans crazy? I don't know how. You, you put them in a round room, tell them to go pee in the corner. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what? This is this used to be a family show. <laughs> I, it used to back. be a show. I don't even know what just happened. <laughs> That's nowhere in the notes, Kate. There was nothing about that in the notes. It, uh, it came off the top of my head. No. Welcome back to Cross Politics, y'all. Classical Conversation supports homeschooling yes. parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. You know, I didn't get a chance to ask uh, uh, Matt in the, in the fort last segment about this, but, you know, it seems like the, one of the central communist things we've been doing Come on is now. government education. Come on now. Yeah. Right? Facts. I, I, I'm going to ask Preach, him about preacher. that. We didn't get hey, that. Yeah. Classical <laughs> Conversation provides a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States mm -hmm. and in several countries. That's not a complete sentence. And we train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. That's hilarious. you got a classical education ad not written well, in well, anyway. Keeping parents on their toes. Yeah, see if you know. Yeah, keeping me on my follow toes. Follow it. Keeping me on my toes. You need a yeah. subject and a verb to have a complete <laughs> sentence, guys. For more information and to get connected, please visit. You know how I know that? Because of classical education. Yeah. For more information and to get connected, please visit the website at classicalconversations.com. Classical Christian, get connected, get community, classicalconversations.com. And so they know we sent you. Yeah. Forward slash 
cross politics. Is it cross dash politics? Yeah, it is. Unfortunately. So yeah. if you also yeah. are a sponsor out there that wants to be berated, um, just send us an email at contact at crosspolitics.com. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, good at we'll this. tear up your ass, we man. Will, we'll tear it up. <laughs> no problem. We are grateful to have with us on the show right now, Dr. Jordan Vaughn. Who's he regretting is, it right now? He's owner <laughs> and CEO of Med Help. Is it Med Help? Med B Help Clinics. Did I get the right? Med Help. Med Help. There's Med an help. extra B yes. in there. MedHelp Clinics now has six locations, sees over 170,000 patients a year, employs 18 physicians and over 200 healthcare workers. Jordan received his BS in chemical engineering from the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. His medical degree from UAB School of Medicine. What's the UAB? University of Alabama. Alabama, Birmingham. Birmingham. Oh, Birmingham. Okay. And completed his residency in internal medicine also at their hospital. Since the appearance of the SARS-CoV-2... COVID. As owner and CEO, Jordan uh, pushed his organization to be on the leading edge of properly delivering early outpatient treatment for his patients and the Birmingham community for COVID-19. Jordan, thanks for joining us on CrossPolitik. Glad to be here. Can we we just talk about that real quick? How many patients have you guys seen during COVID with COVID? Probably up to seven to 8,000 now, probably around that amount. And And you guys have treated that many patients. yeah, and I, even today, I mean, I, I probably am probably the biggest distributor of monoclonal antibodies in any early treatment. I mean, I've kind of, in, you know, DeSantis kind of copied me, but um, <laughs> I, I, I was, uh, you know, basically utilizing a lot of my locations. I have real estate, uh, in, you know, in clinic rooms. And at the time, it just makes sense to go ahead and treat people before they show up at the hospital. Um, and in all honesty, that's one of the problems to begin with that no one even wanted to do that. So a lot of these mm. hospital systems weren't even interested. I mean, I would have thought the hospitals or even the academic medical centers in Birmingham would have been like, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to have pop-up places just like they had the vaccines, of course, right. they would have had, they would have had pop-up places, drive-through places for treatment. Um, or not drive-through, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, no, it was just like, Oh, we're complaining and you know, we're all about our hospitals being full, but we're not doing a darn thing to mm. change the, you know, change the paradigm of how we're getting treatment to these people. So are you talking like pre-treatment, like vitamin D stuff like that too? Basic. Well, you know, monoclonal antibodies, which has probably got its fame when Trump got it back in um, probably October 20, I guess what was it? 2020. I can't even keep up with the years anymore, yeah. but um, it, it requires an IV infusion. So again, okay. you have to touch a patient that God forbid is sick. Sure. And so, um, you know, right. last time I, last time I checked when I went to med school, um, it was to take care of people that were sick. And so <laughs> wow. I was quite quite surprised that the doctors kind of signed up to say, well, there's one sickness that you're not allowed to see a doctor for. And I, that was one of the things that initially said, why, first of all, why are people putting up with that? I mean, doc, I mean, I wow. would imagine the populace should have said, hey, um, yeah, usually we go to doctors when we're sick. So now you're saying when we're sick, we go home and do nothing. Yeah. And, you know, but everyone kind of went along with it, so, which so is doc, crazy. Dr. Yeah, Vine, how wait many, for you need a ventilator. That's it, what out it of is, those you know. six, 7,000 people that you guys have treated, how many people have you lost in that? So probably about, uh, you know, in the teens that have ended up in the hospital, um, probably count on my fingers, the number of people that have died. So incredible. That's, wow. that's, a, that's, incredible. In, that's insane. Wow. I mean, we doc, how many other people who are treating are are doing it like this when you started so 
you know, I, I was kind of in a little small community in a sense because I own my own practice, my pharmacies, my lab. I just kind of did what was right based on the information that I was reading throughout the world where they were treating people. Because again, Italy and China and those places were ahead of us in terms of what to do. So I was just kind of following along. News to me, you know, within a year that no one was doing it. And beyond yeah. that, that uh, it was kind of discouraged, which right. blew my mind as well. It was almost like the CDC isn't reading the same literature that's in the world, you know, medical library as I am. So, um, it's, so Dr. Dr. Vaughn, how, how are you not canceled? Like a lot of doctors, you know, who are even like encouraging ivermectin and stuff like that. Um, they've been canceled. We or, just got canceled on YouTube again. Yeah, thanks yeah. thanks yeah, a lot. We're again. Done. Yeah. Just said the word. Sorry. So, <laughs> So the honest truth is my, my practice as well. I'm probably, probably one of the last guys left with his own shingle up. I mean, I own everything. Okay. Um, And so most physicians, I think actually it's up to close to 90% post Obamacare and Obamacare. I think it was a feature, not a bug that basically made physicians have to go to their big daddy, which was either the, you know, kind of national uh, publicly traded hospital corporation or their academic, you know, Yep. massive academic medical center in the city. And Consolidation. Exactly. Yep. And so it's a lot easier, as I say, to uh, tell Walmart what to do than 10,000 mom and pop retail stores, right? So um, in the end, what happened is a lot of the canceling has been done at the level of whether it's the Academic Medical Institute and people want to don't want to lose their paycheck. They want to be able to feed their family or it's at, you know, again, whoever their leader or middle manager or MBA that runs their healthcare organization says, look, you, you talk like this, you're fired. And so in terms of actual, you know, kind of state area kind of um, kickback or pushback, sorry, not kickback, um, but uh, it hasn't been that, you know, that intense. I mean, I've had some complaints against me for speaking about wearing masks at, for my kindergartner who goes to the school that I spoke at. So, but the second you kind of fight back and say, hey, I didn't give up my free speech when I became a physician, um, they go, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. You didn't, you know. Um, <laughs> wow. But but again, I mean, chilling speech is just, especially in this kind of world, just as effective as actually like truly yeah. canceling it. So, Do- Dr. Vaughn, um, so is that why doctors failed the American people? Is it is it really that that money chain that 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 you're talking about? Is, is that why doctors failed the American people? I, I think it's a couple different things, but I think it, definitely doctors not being critical you know, thinkers and being able to actually be critical thinkers without worrying about who their boss is. So again, my dad's generation, you had um, the typical, you know, multi-specialty clinic was owned by the doctors themselves. They were partners. They looked out for the good of the patient and the good of the practice. And that most times they were at odds with the hospital. And when they were at odds with the hospital, it was because they wanted their patient treated better. Yeah. Okay. And that's changed. Now the hospital is your doctor's boss. And so wow. who's the only person that can suffer or the only person that loses in that scenario is really the patient. Wow. I mean, I would say, I use the kind of classic example, Obamacare was all about, uh, you know, if you like your doctor, you'll keep them. Well, that might have, we could question whether that's true, but it was, if you like your doctor, you can keep them, but your doctor ain't your doctor anymore. He may be the same name. It may be the same guy you're used to seeing, but his boss is different. Wow. And his wow. boss, his boss calls the shots. Wow. Wow. You know, also too, one of the things you said, and I don't think that should go by over people's head. You own everything. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it gives me freedom. Again, yeah. my original, as a, as a Christian, my father, when he started the practice, 
we've always kind of been like, you know, don't have big loans to anyone, never have anybody mm. else, you know, determining yep. what, what you're kind of a proverb. My, my father is good at teaching me proverbs, but um, you know, that that's always what we did. A lot of it also went that a lot of medicine, especially in the outpatient setting is a spiritual thing. And so, yeah. you know, somebody ever being able to compromise my ability to witness or care for a patient in whatever Avenue I think is best for them. That was just kind of off the table. And the second you compromise that, that is off the table, right? But so that, that was the original intent to keep what I had going. Now, that's that's anti-fragile medicine. I was just, mm. we just came off a Liberty tour. We were in uh, Fort Worth in March, um, Rapid City in April, and then Arizona uh, in May. And one of the things we were talking about in Arizona was kind of this anti-fragile you know, built one of the one of the reasons why we're losing our liberties is because we haven't been focused on building our own communities. We, we, we and, and owning our own businesses, that, and, exactly. and, and that that's sometimes people flip that on you and say, "Well, that's you. You're being selfish or greedy." But it's actually, as you're noting, yeah. it sets you free to I'm actually, saving lives. Actually, serve <laughs> Jesus yeah. openly. Yeah, and, I, I and mean, I'm, all I'm, you do. I'm a I'm a Victor Victor David Davis Hanson fan. Yep. And his most recent book, The Dying Citizen, talks yep. about how most people are really just residents because, you know, a citizen required, it, wow. you know, requires the ability for you to know your rights, which is important. But if you can't defend your rights, who cares if you know them? Right. And so, you know, at that point, you know, he looks back at kind of the Greek and the Romans and says, look, it was those kind of middle, middle or meso middle class that were aggregate, you know, agrarian kind of uh -huh. farm owners that said, look, until you give me your right, my rights back, um, I'm not going to pay tribute. Okay. Yeah. And so wow. it was, you know, but in this end, you know, you're the mortgages, the school debt, yep. the yep. paycheck you get from the, you know, publicly traded hospital corporation, yep. those, those kind of keep you from actually being able to do your own thing. Well, and part of it, if you don't own anything, yeah. you have no rights. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's who, who, yeah. part of, part right. of what it means to have rights. Well, is you actually own. He was referencing the, the Proverbs, you know, but the, yeah. the, the borrower is servant to, to the, the lender. lender. Yeah. You have a master, you, yeah. you, you don't, you're not the boss. Dr. Vaughn, can you walk us through the fallout of the vaccine? Uh, the, I mean, th this has not been a little thing at all. Um, Most people don't even know about I mean, this. How, how bad is it? So I will tell you, I mean, you know, as much as I was focused on treating people, I also was hopeful that a vaccine would come along that would be useful. But the reality was that as this vaccine kind of made its way um, into the medical community, um, there wasn't the allowable dissent or questioning of the science or the ability uh, uh, of this vaccine to do what it's you know done. They were using a technology that really is not new. I mean, they had tried it multiple times, um, really since about 2004. And every time after a two-year trial, it had the three same problems, which was uh, it didn't last long. Uh, most viruses found its way around it. And at the end of the day, the placebo people did better than the people that got the injection. And, and we know that. I mean, they've tried it on every different respiratory disease. And now we're what? What are we now? Almost we're 18 months into it. Um, do you all see its effectiveness? It's waning. It's I mean, it's exactly what we would have predicted. But no one was allowed to remind them that this is the reality of it. But on top of that, the actual spike protein itself is pathogenic. And we know that the thing that causes clotting, the thing that causes the disease severity, and probably is even the thing that probably was messed with the most in terms of Ralph Barrick and Jingjing Li and those people in terms of trying to make this a gain of function, you know, research yeah. project mm -hmm. um, was that spike protein. And so to use the thing that is pathogenic and not just give you a fixed amount of that pathogen, the spike protein, and have your body passively interface with it. No, 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 no. 
we are going to give your body the instructions to make it and let your cells be the factory. And you are going to make it for an unknown amount of time for an unknown amount quantity. And everybody's different. And so, again, I, I agree. There's plenty of people that said, I've had four vaccines. I haven't had a problem. Well, that, that might be true. But, um, you know, when you start talking about two to five percent of people that are having problems and you quantify that over a, you know, a population like America, that's a ton of people right. that are, you know, suffering. And here's the other thing is what the worst part about suffering is not acknowledging the suffering. OK, so they are in this even worse place. And so. That, that's really what's bothered me. And not only that, I mean, initially when it came out, I mean, they kind of pushed it and said, you know, we're going to give it to vulnerable populations. Because to me, the que- science was questionable initially. And then the technology was questionable in terms of its use. It makes sense if you don't have really good long-term studies on somebody, uh, on some intervention, that if there's a 75-year-old that's high risk, mm-hmm. that, you know, if, if it means that they're going to have cancer 10 years from now, well, they're going to be 85 or probably not be alive anyway, but you know, I mean, but, but but to make that same, what I would call, what is it? Faustian bargain all the way down to your, our children, which first of all, are at no risk to begin with. And then look at the fact that they continue to push it across the line. And not only that, they don't even really work well. So the more that we're finding out and one of the most recent studies looking at the people in the Moderna trial, the people, once you get COVID after, a vaccine, uh, the antibodies you produce are different than the ones you produce if you got it kind of naturally without a vaccination. And that's one of the reasons that we're starting to see people that were vaccinated are almost more likely to get it multiple times. So it's kind of a, and again, that that's nothing new. I mean, you tell the body to make an antibody that isn't useful or non-neutralizing. It actually makes the body's response worse. I mean, that we know, yeah, it's called antigen dependent enhancement. Um, wow. So this is Doc. We could talk about. I, I sat down with you at one point. I think it was in what was it February. We sat down and for five or six hours, he just and broke. You didn't, you didn't bring us. Um, you just went by well, yourself. Well, he's working on a project. I didn't get any of the so, Alabama white sauce back when you listen, went. Come on now. But he just went through story. There's two things that shocked me: the stories of people whose lives you saved. Um, over and over and over, just one after the other, one after the other. And it was it's amazing. And then going into the fallout of the vaccines themselves yeah. and what it's doing to your body and what people think is it was shocking. And now we've got monkeypox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, yeah, we're in it again. And it's like, okay. Are we done yet? Yeah, are we done yet? Do you think, okay, first of all, what do we know about monkeypox? Well, the K is silent. Well, we're going to get shut down for you. Yeah, then. there we go. Money yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> monkeypox. Money pox. Oh. What, what's your take on monkeypox? So, monkeypox is uh, kind of un, uh, a little bit unrelated. I mean, I definitely think it's, first of all, a DNA virus, which means it's kind of a little bit harder to get it's not spread as well it doesn't have as many mutations but it's a kind of a consequence of the fact that smallpox has been eradicated and it's kind of the last what we call pox virida or, or, or pox virus that's out there and it's surely as we became you know more active in just you know transmission there's been a couple outbreaks of monkeypox not to the extent that they were today but even five six years ago we had 20 or 30 cases outside of Africa, but even in Africa, it's an endemic disease. So um, it's, it's an interesting kind of what I would call fear promulgation. I mean, mm. it's just, it's kind of, it, it, it's taking the same thing and probably scaring people into another 
kind of uh, let the World Health Organization take over all your rights because monkeypox is going to kill you. Um, It's not. Uh, It is a virus that also usually requires uh, pretty intimate touch. Um, And the people that got it um, currently, a lot of them were at a have a certain, you know, lifestyle and they were at a event in Europe and a lot of them were uh, spending a lot of intimate time with each other. So this is a family show, but we still talk honestly about what's going on. It, it's being passed through homosexual activity. Exactly. And not only that, it's the first time I've ever seen the CDC actually on their fourth thing for me to watch out for at a doctor is those men using dating apps. And I was like, well, how did they even get that information? That's kind of scary. Not that I think using those apps are correct, but it's 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 a little bit interesting to me to, to see that that was one of the mm. recommendations. Ask them about their use of indiscriminate, I guess hookups is a word maybe you can talk about on here, but indiscriminate hookups that were started with dating apps. So I was, first of all, I mean, it's, it's you know, kind of a weird thing to think about anyway, but second of all, go, where do they get the information about dating apps? Right. You know, like, right. you know, so, and then it took two weeks for them to tell that. So we've kind of known about this for two weeks and everybody kind of knew where it was coming from, but it took them two weeks to, I guess, get a HR piece that was good enough for them to come out with and say, Hey, I know this is, and you know, the funniest thing the that same day that the CDC released kind of the description of what to look for a Yale epidemiologist was like, yeah, you know, but we can't ask them to not do this because that's discriminatory. Right. Um, wow. What? Yeah. So, so wear a mask, but uh, continue mask, to have but- homosexual sex. <laughs> exactly. It's you like, know. that's off, that's off limits, you know, ruin somebody's life, have your two year old wear a mask. But right. if you're talking wow. about an illicit, uh, same sex, uh, intimate relationship, we can never, we can right. never question well, that. Right. This is, this right. is what's killing me. Like if, if you love those people, right. right wouldn't you tell them? Right. This right. is bad yeah. for you. And, and that goes back to a lot of this. I mean, I think false security is, you know, first of all, you would want them to do the right thing. But even the church, I mean, I, I actually, even on my own church in town, when they were like, hey, you know, there's some people that won't come back because you know, they're scared if people don't have masks on. I'm like, well, if we tell them they have masks on and they get a false sense of security from that, the church isn't somebody that should be telling people, you know, that, right. hey, you're going to wear a mask. Even though masks don't work, uh, you'll come back to church if there's a false sense of security here. Yeah. That's the last thing we want our church to appear to be is a false sense of security and it's hope. A false right? gospel. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it was weird that I had to like counter that because I was like, no, 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 no. If they don't, if, if there's, if they are immune compromised and worried about COVID, they need to stay home. Right. Like we don't need to tell them it's safe right. because masks don't do anything. Right. <laughs> it, it, Come on, but it doc. was funny. It was like, hey, hey, let's get masks back on everybody so these people that feel uncomfortable will right. come back. I'm like, that's that's actually lying to them. Right. Like that, that it's all of a sudden safe because it's not. It's actually yeah. dangerous. For so them. so yeah. here's one thing. I, I know we weren't planning on talking about this, but I want to end with this and give us your website. Um, should we be concerned about the WHO? Yeah, I, I will. I mean, I'm. we're working with a group right now. Peter Bregan is one of the guys um, that – is within my group on America Out Loud, which America Out Loud Pulse, he's a doctor that has been working against all these amendments. And actually 12 of the 13 amendments that were given among the WHO uh, were removed or pulled out this week. So that was a good development. Now, can they be 
put back in front where they say, hey, here's the definition of what the WHO under these circumstances take over, takes over world government. Yes, they can. But we were prayerfully and thankfully uh, that they were and thankful that those 12 out of 13 amendments were removed. And they were all those amendments that were kind of the amendments you were like, oh, my gosh, we were right. you know, forwarding Did- our. Step back a little bit and explain that because I don't think some people even know that yeah. they just know what the WHO is, but they don't know what those 12 amendments are or what you're even talking about. Oh, the they, yeah. they were kind of going outside the treaty process and instead saying in the event that there is a pandemic uh, that the WHO would direct pretty much everything from a one world government type thing. It would basically say suspension of all rights, emergency powers would go to the WHO. And there are a lot of countries that are signing on to this, but at least in the in America, some of those, you know, we kind of had some pushback and at least there we still have some authority. But the problem with a lot of these multilateral organizations is China has bought them and they bought them through the Belt Road where, you know, like a lot of these African countries are, I mean, they a lot of their infrastructure has been financed by China and then they don't pay it. And China all of a sudden owns, you know, uh, owns a lot of their infrastructure. And they're, they, you know, so it's like, hey, do this and vote for me on the WTO vote for me on the WHO, but you know, and so that's how we get a guy who literally ha- is the first Tedros is the first uh, WHO lead. That's not a physician. He ha- he's a doctorate. He has a doctor in philosophy. He did his thesis in Marxism, but um, it, it is interesting that we wow. would elect, we would elect a guy that uh, isn't, has no medical background. Right. How so, is WHO getting authority or, uh, apparently, they already have some sort of authority over our country in all this. How uh, do they, and and how are they getting uh, or trying to get more authority over America? So by basically, I mean by giving some kind of doctrine or or treaty that we've signed on to that the politicians one day can say, "Hey, it, it, it they're actually in power." Now the problem is, is it's only so far that again, I think if the last two years proved anything that people are asleep. But I mean. Uh, hopefully in that kind of event that our people would be like, Oh heck no. But if the last two years proved anything, I, I feel like a lot of people just said, Oh yeah, whatever. As long as I don't get that disease. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the problem. And you know, that's, that's where you start to go. Um, we need limitations. That's the, I, one of the things that I would challenge anybody on here that wants to make a difference in the state at their state level is get to where these emergency powers cannot be renewed without the legislation yeah. or the legislators actually voting on it Amen. in Alabama. It was like, Oh, we, we, she can only do an emergency uh, declaration for 90 days. Yeah. But she can also sign it on day 89 to renew it for 90 days. Yeah. And that, that, that needs to be limited. So yeah. again, there has to be back to these emergency powers. They got to go. And yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they have, they have to be time limited and there has to be at that time limit that all of a sudden your representative government has to be accountable and vote for them. Right. This whole thing That's about right. science, and I've, I've used this recently. I said, the, the, the whole thing about follow the science. Well, science is not a leader, okay? It doesn't lead you anywhere. Science right. informs, it gives you information. People are leaders and people make decisions. When somebody says science made the decision, they're just abdicating their own leadership because they don't want to be held accountable. Okay. And so that's what most of these state governments have done. And it's just like, oh, well, science is science is science. I mean, there's nobody. It's like this nebulous thought process out in the ether. And it's like, oh, well, it's it's science's fault. It's not my fault. I just was following this guy. And it's like, well, that that isn't that guy doesn't lead. He's. Yeah. That brings us right back to courage. That's right. No courage. No. Right? I mean, which is ultimately a hard issue. Like, you, I mean, we, we need we need men to stand up 
and protect their families. And own their own stuff like Dr. Vaughn does. We need some, we need some men like Dr. Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, for real. The doctors, we need them in the government, we need them in the schools, we need them in the churches, we need them in the law enforcement. Because mm-hmm. if we, we don't got backbones, we don't have courage because we don't have Jesus. I would say I would say this too, Dr. Vaughn. The first thing I want to do is vote out the governors that are willing to shut us down. That's the first yeah, thing. Absolutely. And then I want to legislate, make sure that they have limited ab- yeah. ability and powers we under certain circumstances. We couldn't even get those limits in Idaho. And we got, yeah. So Dr. Vaughn, you do a podcast Podcast. What's your podcast and how can people keep track of you? So it is on America Out Loud Pulse. Uh, we have a, a daily podcast of doctors. One of them on Wednesdays, Dr. Peter McCullough is yeah. probably the biggest leader in all of this. And he uh, invited me and uh, Dr. Tankersley, he's another doctor here in Birmingham that is part of my group in Alabama. And our group is really 100% focused on getting medicine back to our oath to the patient. Yeah. Okay. Because that that's, that's where... That's where the focus has to be. And from there, all these you know problems would be solved. If if the hospital is interrupting your ability to take care of your patient as a doctor, you should leave the hospital. Okay, that's that's what yeah, I'm saying. Is if right. your Amen. foundational right. oath is to that patient that you're caring mm-hmm. for, um, anything that interferes with that should really be gotten rid of. Amen. I mean, not in, in, in the in the whole sense, but if, if you're limiting yourself in treatment because you're worried about what your hospital administrator says. Right. You, you need to find it. Yeah, you got to find something different. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Vaughn, thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back, man. Yeah, this man. is we got so much helpful. more to that talk was about. Huge. That was huge. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them until Monday. Next week it's a whole different thing. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross politic. Dr. Vaughn, we'll, you hang on one second. We'll see you every day at 6 p.m. When tyrants take over, what's the first thing they do? Disarm. It happened in Russia, China, Germany, and most recently, Afghanistan. Why? Because disarmed people are easier to control. And over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. Tyrants know that education is warfare. Our rulers have a vested interest in making you totally harmless. They've got big plans and they don't want you getting in the way. Think about it. Would you rather fight an army decked out with high-powered rifles or a bunch of dinky water pistols? They know that if you can think critically, you're a threat. At New St. Andrews College, we want to graduate men and women who are dangerous. Dangerous to the world. Dangerous to the principalities and powers. Dangerous to spiritual wickedness in high places. Education can either arm you or disarm you. It can make you a threat or make you a useful idiot. (laughs) So, where you get that education counts. Click the link to apply to New St. Andrews College today.